Good morning, church. Uh, Pastor Adrian here. Um, I'd actually like to begin uh, with a word here again from the Lord that uh, we've heard before, and I know some of us are probably wearing thin, but I just want to take a, a second here to read again Psalm 91, verses 9 through 11. It says, Because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the Most High your dwelling place, No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you, to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. This is my prayer uh, for all of us at this time. And again, I I hope and pray that uh, these experiences are causing us to deepen our faith, and God's love and care for each and every one of us at this time. I know it can be uh, easy to get so wrapped up in what's happening in the world around us, but I want to encourage us to look up, to look to the Word of God, and to breathe the atmosphere of heaven, and thank God for His promises at this time. It's been quite an eventful few months uh, for the world, really, uh, not just for our country or, or our place here in East Texas, uh, but for all of us, and this week, uh, there's been some very important announcements taking place uh, about relaxing and easing certain guidelines uh, in our state. And so our churches uh, were included in uh, the relaxing and easing of those certain guidelines uh, that our state had. So I want to make some announcements about some of these things before I get into my sermon And um, let me just take a minute here uh, to talk to uh, those listening. I just want to make a few announcements um, to to those listening. Uh, First of all, I I would like to continue encouraging those who would like to join our prayer meeting here in Mount Pleasant with the Mount Pleasant Church. Our prayer meetings are at 5 p.m. on Tuesday nights. And again, the information to join for that is is on uh, the weekly emails that are going out. Uh, And if anyone has any um, desire to get on, they don't have the information, please contact myself, and I'll be happy. It's very easy to to get on. Um, For the parish church, we are continuing our prayer meetings, 6.30. And for the information, to log on to that as well, connect with myself or Don and uh, we will be happy to give you the information for that. Um, Also, uh, this Monday night uh, for our youth, and this is just for the youth, we will have uh, some food and some uh, a few activities uh, in Paris. Um, We are only going to have a limited number of young people coming, so those who would like to come, please connect with myself if you need a ride or you'd like to join Uh, please contact me and let me know. Uh, We'll be happy to do that. We're going to be having a farewell, a send-off for some students that are going back home. Now I'd like to get to the issue of opening up our churches. Um, I should say safely opening up our churches. Now for the parish church, I've been talking to the leaders this week, uh, and there's a very strong possibility that we will be opening uh, the second Sabbath in May, that's next Sabbath, um, with uh, Andy speaking. 
And so um, we will be connecting with as many people as possible about the logistics and the certainty of that. If we will not do that, we will most certainly be opening on the third Sabbath when I will be present. And so this next announcement um, is uh, for the parish church as well, too, but it's uh, more directed towards the Mount Pleasant Church. Um, Again, as we all know, that there has been some changes uh, there's been a uh, relaxing of guidelines, and so we have been talking, uh, myself and the Mount Pleasant leaders, about whether or not to open our church here in Mount Pleasant. And so, uh, first of all, before uh, I give some instructions about how we're going to move forward with that, we have been given some guidelines, both by the state of Texas and also by the Texas Conference of Seventh-day Adventists as well. And uh, these guidelines pertain to all of our churches, no matter how big or small they are. Um, And so I would just like to share here uh, for a moment, for those who would like to come back to church, um, there are some guidelines that we need to follow. And I would like to read some of these guidelines just so people have an idea of what it's going to look like when we do come back to church. Some of these guidelines uh, say that vulnerable members are encouraged to remain home to enjoy worship online. Churches will open for Sabbath morning worship service only. No other services, including Sabbath school, should be held at this time. Deep cleaning and sanitizing should take place before and after service. Create cleaning and sanitizing teams, one for each Sabbath of the month, or multiple teams for specific areas to maintain the health and safety of the congregation and not exhaust members with the extra work required to ensure a safe and healthy environment for worshipers. Participating Uh, Practice, excuse me, practice social distancing requirements, maintaining a six-foot distance from each other. Now, I did go on the CDC uh, official website, and that is for families, not for individuals. But it is important to remember the six-foot distancing that is required for families uh, and individuals. This will remain in place in and around church facilities. Also, no potlucks or large gatherings for a minimum of eight weeks. More if COVID-19 continues to rise in the community. And so there's a few other things about uh, possibly having more than one service, uh, one for the more vulnerable and uh, another for those who are less vulnerable. Uh, It encourages uh, small, you know, uh, small groups of people coming Uh, And not a lot. So I want to just talk to the Mount Pleasant Church very quickly and ask you um, what is going on in your heart, in your mind regarding this issue. Um, We have been I've been talking with the leaders of our church about the logistics, about uh, reopening our church, when we should do it and how we should do it. And so I want to hear from you. There is a possibility that we could open on the second Sabbath of this month. 
because it is my scheduled Sabbath to be here in Mount Pleasant. But that depends on if enough people are willing to come. And so I would ask you, those of you who are listening, uh, others that you talk to in our church, if you would please contact myself, Pastor Adrian or Bernard or some of our other leaders, and let us know what your desire is. If there are enough people who are willing to come back uh, to church in person, uh, they would have to volunteer to clean uh, our church as we leave uh, because the Spanish church will be coming uh, next Sabbath as well. Um, we have to be sure that we're uh, following the guidelines for social distancing of families. Uh, we wouldn't be passing around an offering plate, but we would just have one that people could uh, put their offering into. Um, and it would be a very simplified service. Uh, we might possibly be singing a cappello instead of with a piano. So it, it would be much different than we're used to. Uh, but again, we're trying to ease our way back into our services. Um, I'm not expecting a lot of people to come back all at once, and actually I prefer it this way. Smaller groups of people are easier to manage. It would be easier to get a handle on the things that we do uh, as more and more people uh, start coming back to church. But most importantly, it's, in, it's important for us to pray about what God wants us to do. Uh, you know your health, you know the health of your family and the expectations and, and what's best for you and your family. And so um, we respect that. We're not uh, pushing people to come and we're not pushing people to stay away. I just want the church to know that I am available uh, if y'all are willing uh, to come back to church. So again, please contact myself uh, with what your wish and what your desire is. And if uh, there are, is no one interested uh, on the second Sabbath uh, in May, then we might try in a few weeks or uh, wait longer than that. Um, but we know that at some point we have to move forward with coming back. And so uh, please keep this uh, in your prayers. Uh, so having said all of those things, um, I would ask you please to pray for the leadership of our church, our churches, as we move forward in this difficult time about what to do. Um, so this is new ground for all of us. We haven't had to experience this before in our generation. And so it's uh, not an easy decision to make. It's a uh, not easy thing to follow through with. So please be in prayer about the leadership of our church. Now, let's get into uh, our message uh, for today. And I will try to make this uh, a shorter message, having already taken about 10 minutes with announcements here. Uh, and we will be in Matthew chapter 24. And we'll, we'll be reading uh, the first uh, 14 verses or so. And we're going to look at a very familiar passage, but I think in the context of what we're experiencing at this time, it might mean something uh, a little different. It might have a deeper, weightier meaning to us at this time. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24 will also be in Second Peter as well. 
Uh, so be prepared to turn there later on in the message. And it reads, Matthew 24, starting at verse 1, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake, and then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. Let's pray. God in heaven, I simply pray, God, as we wrestle with this passage, what it means for us today, and what it means for us tomorrow. Please guide me with your Holy Spirit. Please guide each person who is listening now. Again, may Jesus be lifted up, your Spirit poured out, and your Word spoken and believed in. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I came across an interesting article very recently um, on Christianity Today. Um, there's a man, Elliot Clark, who works with the Training Leaders International. He did an interview with a man named Paul S. Williams. who wrote, He wrote a book called Exiles on a Mission. And basically this book is about how the mission field uh, that we tr traditionally think about as being out there in another country, in, in an eastern country or someplace that... Uh, uh, we've never heard of or never dreamed of going to, that mission field has actually changed. Uh, the mission field is no longer out there. It's actually here in the West. It's actually here where we live. And so this man, Elliot Clark, uh, interviewed this man, Paul Williams. And uh, there are a few questions here he asked I thought that might be interesting as they relate to our sermon today. And so uh, he asked some questions about the book. He asked him, um, one of the questions that he asks here is, how do you see church still operating as though Western culture were basically Christian? And uh, Williams said, I don't think we come close to grasping the level of ignorance 
about Christianity here in the West, what the gospel is, what the Bible teaches in Western societies. My organization did a survey that found that people weren't sure if the nativity story was actually in the Bible. A ridiculously high percentage of adults thought superhuman might be in the Bible. You're talking about a staggering level of ignorance, which completely changes the way you think about communicating with unbelievers. In many ways, Westerners are even aware, aren't even aware of the God they rejected. So there is a new openness, a curiosity that creates new opportunities to educate. Basically, he's saying there's a lot of ignorance about the Bible, Bible truth here in the West, yes, even in America. And I would take it a step further and say that there's a lot of Bible ignorance even in our own churches. He goes on to ask another question. Um, He says, in the book, you highlight our role as ambassadors. How is it helpful for exiles to see themselves as ambassadors rather than aliens or visitors? Now, when he's talking about exiles, he's talking, of course, about the Jews who were exiled in Babylon. They were living in Babylon. And Jeremiah was sent to them. God told Jeremiah to tell them, you will be living here in Babylon for a long period of time, so pray for the peace of the people among whom you live. In each case, as an ambassador, an alien, or a visitor, I am a foreigner in a strange land. But the alien has the feeling that somehow this is happening against my will. And I think that describes much of the church's mentality at the moment. Culture is moving away from Christ, from the Bible, from the church, and we as Christians feel threatened. A visitor can cope with unpleasant feelings by saying, I'm just passing through. I have to be faithful in this life, but it's all going to burn away. But Jeremiah tells the exiles in in Babylon to seek the welfare of of the city. That's Jeremiah 29 and 7. Paul and Peter tell us to live as citizens of heaven, conducting ourselves honorably here on earth, so that people will give glory to our Father in heaven. That is the spirit of the ambassador who says, Yes, I am in a strange land, but I am here on purpose. I've been sent. I've got something to do. And as we read our passage for today, and Jesus tells us that the gospel goes to all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end comes, that gives us this great sense of responsibility and duty, that each and every one of us has a purpose. Each and every one of us has something to do. And though we might sometimes kind of miss it, As we're reading about Jesus' description here of the end times, I want to highlight that today in this passage. I want to highlight what Jesus has for us to do here in this description of the end of time. Again, we we can sometimes just pass it by, but it's very important that we note what Jesus is saying here.
But it is important to see it as always in its context. Jesus and his disciples, they're sitting here by the temple. They're sitting at the Mount of Olives and they're looking at the temple. And Jesus had just described to them before that there would be not be one stone left upon another. This temple would be destroyed and the city of Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. So they ask him about the end time, the signs of the times, what will it look like? And so Jesus in his response, it's, it's full of a lot of descriptions. And as I was reading this this week, I thought, wow, that can just be very depressing, the way Jesus describes the end of time. He talks about wars, uh, kingdoms versus kingdoms, famines, pestilences, earthquakes, and great deception. He even talks about persecution and a cold, cruel world. And as you read this description, it just very much reads very much like what's going on in our world today. But something that we notice here that, that uh, in Jesus' description of the end times, all the things that are happening here, all these negative things, all these dramatic things, they cannot stop the momentum of the gospel being preached. The gospel and those who proclaim it here are resilient to the very end. It's it's like this, this beautiful narrative, this beautiful story that is happening in the midst of all of these other very dramatic things. Now, why doesn't Jesus simply get to the point? I mean, he's asking, uh, you know, uh, they ask Jesus about what will be the sign of the end of the world. And notice with me, if you will, when Jesus starts describing deception, he talks about wars and rumors of wars. In verse 6, he says, all these things must come to pass. But then what does he say? The end is not yet. Very interesting. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. And then in verse 8, he says, all these are the beginning of sorrows. And so normally when we think about these things, we think about the end time, but Jesus actually uses the word beginning, not end, when describing all of these different events, including COVID-19 or pestilences. Now, of course, he's talking about the beginning of the end. But it is interesting to note that he does use this language that has the idea of something starting. And so this tells us that we should not be surprised when the smoke clears, when you know, the virus comes and goes, when we have another war that comes and goes, when there's another dramatic earthquake that happens somewhere around the world, we should not be surprised that we are all still here. The end has not come yet. We should not be surprised about this at all. And the reason is, it's because you and I have a job to do. And until that job is done, we will all still be here. 
with all of these things still happening in our world. We all have a job to do in the midst of all of this drama happening in the world around us. You know, it's our mission to proclaim this gospel. It's our, it's our, our joy. It's, it's our duty as Christians. I'd like to read uh, this statement here that we actually put in our bulletin before. Uh, it's from Acts of the Apostles, uh, page, page 9. It's the opening sentence of the book Acts of the Apostles by Ellen White. She says, The church is God's appointed agency for the salvation of men. It was organized for service, and its mission is to carry the gospel to the world. Even at the end of time, even with all of these dramatic things going on, our mission has not changed at all. And I would argue to say that uh, somehow, some way, I think this could advance our mission. This could, this could uh, bring us a, a greater impetus. This could bring us a greater uh, motivation for fulfilling the gospel commission. This is not a time for us to only be thinking about how we can be ready for when Jesus returns, for the time of trouble, but to be thinking, is my neighbor ready? Are the people I work with, are they ready? Are my family members ready? This is a very important question that we should be asking ourselves. You see, the focus of the church here in Jesus' description of the end time is actually going out. It's moving. It's gaining new ground. It's not stagnant at all. You know, it's a beautiful thing here because this uh, proclamation of the gospel is the only good thing that is mentioned in the first half of Matthew chapter 24. The success of the preaching of the gospel and its resilience of those who are saved is a bright, beautiful picture in a dark, ugly world. We cannot be distracted from our mission. We cannot be uh, discouraged by roadblocks. Yes, typically the, the gospel moves best through relationships, and now that is very difficult. I mean, even earlier today during the announcement, we're talking about social distancing while coming to church. People are afraid to touch and get in close proximity to others. But can the gospel move? Can it, can it spread and grow? despite these barriers, I believe that it can. And I believe that this challenges us to pray, to think about how we can continue moving forward with this to marching to the, to the beat of the gospel drum, even in these perilous times. We have to remember as Jesus is really what he's doing here. He's going through history. He's looking forward into to history. Uh, all the things that are be, going to be happening, happening as signs of the ends of the time. He's looking to the very end of time. And we have to remember that all history is moving toward the universal and complete rule of God 
in this world. It's all moving towards God, toward God's eternal purpose. And you and I are part of that eternal purpose. Yes, each individual Christian has their part to play. I'd like to read another uh, interesting quote here by Ellen White. This is in the book of uh, The Desire of Ages. Her, her comment here on Jesus' words in verse 14. And she says this, Christ tells us that when Christ tells us when that day shall be ushered in, he does not say that all the world will be converted. That's a very interesting point. point. She doesn't, she, Jesus doesn't say, and she doesn't say the whole world is going to be converted, but that everyone will hear the gospel. But that the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. By giving the gospel to the world, it is in our power to hasten our Lord's return. Very interesting words. We are not only to look for, but to hasten the coming of the day of God. So she's actually saying that we can actually speed up the second coming of Christ. Isn't that interesting? Have we ever, have we ever thought about that in our conversations and our thinking and our reading in the Bible about when is the end going to come? Are these the signs of the ends of the time? When is it going to happen? Are, are we near? Are we a few months or years or decades away? And based on what's being said here, we have some part to play on when the end actually comes. And where is she getting this from, after all? She's simply getting it from Scripture. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 12. 2 Peter chapter 3, we'll, uh, we'll actually we'll start with verse 10. 2 Peter 10, I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. And Peter says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? And verse 12, Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. It says it right there in Scripture, that we are to be hastening the coming of our Lord. Is it possible that we could adjust the clock for the second coming, the return of Christ? Very interesting question. What is, what is he talking about here in Second in Peter? I mean, think about it this way. Let's just use, for example, if, if Jesus were to come in just a few years, say 2025, on, on May 2nd at 5 p.m., but somehow through uh, our witness, through our evangelism, through our prayers, through our passion for bringing people to the foot of the cross, of Jesus Christ, 
our passion for living and proclaiming the three angels' message. Could Jesus come on May 2nd at 4.59 p.m. instead of 5 o'clock? Just a thought. Now, some may disagree that we actually have some ability to shift the clock, and that's okay. That's not really necessarily the point I'm trying to make. The point that I believe that Scripture is trying to make here is that your role, the part that you play in the second coming of Christ, is far greater than you could ever imagine. I'd like to read a, an, uh, an article here that I uh, came across recently. I thought that this was uh, very interesting. I heard about this years ago, and I, and I Googled it this week online, and um, I found this story. I wasn't sure if I was going to find it, but uh, it's a very interesting story about uh, in World War II in a submarine how uh, a Navy um, serviceman performed uh, a miracle surgery. And uh, this article um, comes from a website, uh, NPR, and it's entitled Navy Hero to Earn Medal for Surgery at Sea. And very quickly, this is what it says. In September 1942, as the Japanese forces continued to hold the South Pacific, the USS Sea Dragon entered the enemy waters of the South China Sea. Aboard the Navy submarine, Seaman First Class Daryl Rector was suffering from stomach pain. But with no doctor on board, he had turned to pharmacist mate Wheeler P. Lipes for help. There was no medical surgical doctor on board, but he turned to this pharmacist for, for medical help. Lipes, whose only medical experience was three years as a hospital lab technician, immediately recognized Rector's symptoms as those of acute appendicitis. If his appendix wasn't removed, Rector would die. Beneath the sea, Lipes set up a surgical unit. He prepared common kitchen instruments to work as medical equipment. Spoons for retractors, and a tea strainer lined with gauze as an anesthetic mask. With no formal surgical training at all, Lipes performed an emergency appendectomy, the first major surgery aboard a submarine. Rector survived. Now the article says that he died later on in battle uh, a few years later. But Lipes saved his life using spoons and, and a strainer and who knows what else. Although the historic surgery became firmly established in Navy lore, Lipes, now 48, this is an article from back in 2005, never received any official recognition for his feat. But on Sunday, February 20, over 60 years after the submarine surgery, Lipes will be awarded the Navy Commendation Medal for Saving a Fellow Crewman's Life. Wow. Isn't that brilliant thinking? Isn't that uh, just, just amazing how he used these simple kitchen tools 
as surgical tools to save a man's life. A spoon, a strainer, these other uh, kitchen instruments. It's amazing how he used these things to save this man's life. Who would have thought about using dishes in a surgery? You know, God wants to do the same thing with us. The devil wants you to believe that you are not good enough to make a real eternal difference in the lives of other people. We're not good enough. We're not, we're not uh, devoted enough. We don't know about, enough about the Bible. Uh, we don't have the skills or the training or the experience. And, and so the devil tries to tell us we cannot be used by God. But God wants you to know that you are a well-designed instrument in the hands of a master craftsman. And God is crafting. He's moving and he's working again to bring everything in this world to his eternal purposes. The end will come. The world does have an end. And thank God for that, especially at times like this. We can see God moving and and working. But it's important to notice that God is also moving and working in your life to bring about his perfect purposes. And God wants to use each and every one of us to proclaim that gospel message. Because Jesus says, that is the mark of the end of time. Once the gospel is proclaimed as a witness to all the world, then the end will come. Do you want that to come soon? Because I certainly do. Please don't forget, you have a greater role and purpose in making that come to pass than you could imagine. And I want to challenge again each and every one of us to pray about how God can use us at this time. The mission field is already here. It's all around us. God is just wanting to send us to that field. May God bless you and happy Sabbath.